yourself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past Welcome to NUFC Matters. Uh, I'm delighted to see I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Rule Fox. How are you, Rule? I'm not too bad, pal. Yourself? Really good, mate. Good to have you back on the show, albeit you've never actually been on the YouTube version. Uh, we did one of the very pioneering ones on uh, on Instagram uh, back in the oh. day. I think you were lying lying on the grass in the garden, I think, when we did it. <laughs> yeah, that's about as far out of the house I could get at that time. <laughs> but, no, it's nice now. So it's nice to actually get out some fresh air and get back to work. So, yeah, um, mental health is better. Everyone seems to be getting out. It's a bit of a smile on people's faces. So... It's nice to get back to some sort of normality. You know, everyone's having to adapt like yourself. We're having to go online and have these conversations. But if it helps uh, the wider public, you know what I mean, then I'm all for these things. No, great stuff, mate. Great to have you on. Uh, as always, we've got questions from, from the fans. But um, let's just talk a little bit about your early career, uh, Rule. First of all, you, you started down in, in Norwich, didn't you? Yeah, started at Norwich from a schoolboy. I was there from... God, I was there from the age of 14. I, I, I'm originally from Ipswich, so uh, had trials had trials at Ipswich probably two or three times. They couldn't quite make their mind up whether they wanted to sign me or not. And luckily at that time, I had a, a friend who lived across the road who was, who was signed on professional forms for Norwich. So I kept um, knocking on his door and telling him to take me down there for a day's trial. He took me down there, and within a day, they signed me straight up. So... Um, that's where me. That's where all my career started. So from the age of fourteen to like um, came to Newcastle, I was playing at Norwich. Did you always play in the same position uh, in your early days? I strangely enough, I went both times. I went for trials. I went for as a centre midfield player, but ah. obviously, uh, as, as you know, as everyone, all the fans know, I, I, I'm not that tall. So it went against me. By the time I got to the professional setup, I was all right in the amateur teams, but once it came to professional setup, I. They thought I was a little bit lightweight to be in the middle. So I got moved out to the right. And that's where I ended up staying. I ended up staying in the right midfield. What was it uh, like making your pro debut after, uh, you know, cutting your teeth at, at the lower levels? I mean, it, it, it was quite exciting, actually, because at that, I mean, the difference was uh, around them times, they clubs always um, look for youth. And usually, depends how well you were doing in your new, because it was youth team, Till you got round to 18, then you went to the senior setup. So you probably play a, maybe a year or so in the reserve football and get one or two games. I was quite fortunate. By the time I got to 17, I'd signed a professional contract. And then um, I got a call up for the first team because generally what happens if a team's, say, in the middle of, middle of the table, there's nothing to play for, they blooded a few of the youngsters who were doing well. So me and about three other well, just myself, sorry, and two reserve players um, got a run out in the first team in one of the the cup games. So it was really exciting for me. Um, the, the game went quite well because it was lucky for me that uh, the player, I played against Coventry and the player I was playing against was one of the, the old players from Norwich, but he was a little bit, I'd say, on the retirement side. So it made my job slightly easier that I, I was a 70-year-old whippersnapper playing against a 30-year-old who probably couldn't keep up with me. Brilliant stuff. I full members cup, I think it was called, wasn't it? Yeah, Back in those yeah. Days. yeah. Good, yeah. St good stuff. Yeah, and you made your league debut. Was that right against Oxford? Yeah, then it was Oxford after that, like so. Did you find it much of a step up, Rule? Um, to be honest with you, because of my upbringing and the way I was brought up, I, I'd always 
again, harken back to youth football. When I was playing youth football, I whether it had been in amateur football or playing in professional league, my amateur football stood me a good stead for when I was in professional because I always played above my level. So when I was playing, say, 13, 14, 15, I was playing a year or two above. So they, they weren't afraid to push you and, you know, if they, if they felt you had the ability, it was a way of them making you man up. So by the time I got to the youth setup at Norwich, it was, it was quite, I would say, quite easy for me because I'd already had that stature and the experience of playing against older people. So when I actually got to the first team, I'd already been training with the um, first team squad from around the age of 17. So to then step into the first team, obviously it's a little bit intimidating because obviously you're playing in front of large crowds. But playing-wise, you know, they encourage you to enjoy your football and express yourself. So it was a case where I was allowed to just play my game. I mean, once you, you established yourself in the team, Norwich were on the up when you were there. And I think people tend to forget that Norwich had a, a really good spell in the 90s. And uh, I think it was the 92-93 yeah, campaign where... Uh, Norwich were leading the way for best part of the season, but then slipped away just towards the end in, in, into third place. I mean, what was it like to to be in a team at that time challenging for the league? Yeah, it was strange because don't forget, I think that was the it was either the year before or that year that they um, they they um, they launched the actually the Premier League, and that was all the glitz and the glamour with the Sky Sports cameras coming in. You had the you had the dancers on the pitch. It was fireworks and all that. So it, it was like a movie set. So for us, we just took it in Australia. It was just obviously you know what it's like when your expectation is just to survive in a league. So we were just going out and playing every game as as, as just to enjoy it. And then we found ourselves probably halfway through the season and we were top of the league. And then I think the, and then reality kicked in. We said, do you know what, guys? We could actually win this. And I think, obviously, with a smaller squad, no disrespect, the quality was there, but not to that standard where we knew how to maybe take the team over the line. And then uh, eventually we got caught up just after Christmas by Man United. It's interesting because I, I'd forgotten about that before I started researching uh, for, for, for talking to you today. And in a lot of similarities towards Newcastle's title collapse, you know, a few years later when, you know, they had that 13-point lead at Christmas. Um, obviously, it was a 12-point lead that a lot of people talk about against Man United and then Man United pipped them for the league. Do you think there's a lot to be said for, in you know, teams in that kind of, um, that kind of experience where it, it's the experience of winning that maybe gets those teams behind through? You know, Newcastle and Norwich hadn't, you know, had the experience of women, winning the Premier League and, yeah, you know, the, it, 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 do you think that counted against them? Uh, yeah, against definitely. Them? I think when, you, when you're in an unstrange environment like that and, you know, you go along, you enjoy your games, uh, you know, you get all the applaudits from from not just your fans, from, from other teams and other other pundits and commentators. So you just go along with the ride. But I think the main part of it is, is how to manage games, you know, because don't forget, that's why I probably... Um, hit the ground running with Newcastle. We played exactly the same football. There was no fear. We were just all about all attack. You know, we're, you know, the same as when I went Newcastle. You know, we, we was winning games four three. We were sometimes two three nil down, and and coming back and winning the game four three, because we just treated it like it was just about expressing ourselves. But what at the time there were a lot of managers who had that kind of management style where they would say, Do you know what, once we get that lead, we need to sit back and maybe, you know, take off one attacking player and have a holding player. It's more tactically aware nowadays. And I think the time, another similar, similar team would have been Leicester, but they managed to 
to get over the line because they had the right clientele in the in the right positions on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you played with uh, former Newcastle. Gary Megson, I think, was it uh, was it Norwich? Was he at the time? Yeah, we had Gary Macy, he was one of the senior guys. Yeah, Brian Gunny Goal. We had we had what's good after Chrissy Sutton was just starting starting to yeah. establish himself. So he was he was banging in goals before he left. We had we, we had we had a, a mixture of players who had probably on their I would say second chance kind of thing that we'd bought from other clubs. So they had quite a bit to to prove. But then also we still had um a good balance of quality players. We we had this good connection with Tottenham, so we had a quite a few of the um, Tottenham players who who probably couldn't get into the first team. We had Ian Crook, Ian Culverhouse, um, <coughs> excuse me, Gary Brook was there. So we had a few of the Tottenham players who, who, who were technically good mixed in with what we had from our academy and our first team. So it, it, it gelled well for us. Yeah, I think I always remember Jeremy Goss from that team for some reason. Uh, you know, and Evan Akuku as well. He was there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, like I said, every the the difference is when when you're bringing in players um, with that with that quality and background. There's no what we call big time players. You know, I remember Norwich was always a family run small club, so they were quite good at recruiting players who understood that. So it was no good us then trying to. Pay, pay for a, a, a five million pound player or 10 million player, which is a value of the players at the time. And then, you know, try to blend that in. It's very difficult to, you have to get the right type of player when you've got a, a club run at a certain way. Yeah, following season wasn't as great in the league, but you did have a great run in the UEFA Cup, didn't you? Which of course came to an end in the last 16 against uh, Inter Milan, I think it was. But um, that must've been great as well. Just, just that period of, you know, European football as well. Yeah, again, again, it's one of those things. We just managed to hold on to the, the third place, which qualifies for Europe. So for us, again, we just went at it the same way. I mean, the most important thing for us, which which is quite strange at the time, don't forget, the money wasn't as it was uh, when the Premiership first started. So for us, we we used to have a, a senior lads used to go in every beginning of every season. They'll sit down with the players first. And you'd kind of negotiate back and forth with the with the chairman or the secretary of the club of what bonuses you got. So our bonus run for winning league games and winning um, European games is probably more than our wages. So for us, every time we won a game, so like we won one game, then two games, three games, four games in a row, we'd probably end up doubling our wages just on our bonuses. So for us, we always were thinking to ourselves, God, if we get through to the next round, you know, this is going to be how much money we're going to be earning. But we never actually looked at the team and took the teams that serious. Even, it might sound straight, even when we got to Bayern Munich, we we looked at it, we just thought, you know what, we're here, let's just enjoy it. Yeah. Which was quite strange, but it, it, it worked out well for us. Yeah, fantastic. So obviously after the success at Norwich that you had and, and you know, establishing yourself as a Premier League player, Newcastle came calling in 94. How, how did the deal come about? It was quite strange because I, 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 in them times, don't forget, we didn't have all these social media things. So generally it was in, it was either in one of the, the tabloids or you, you would probably hit, we, the agents were around at the time, but they weren't uh, as many about, uh, they only were there with the top players. So when you heard so some football news, it was generally, it was generally I was, I, I, just a rumour. I'd heard that Arsenal were looking at me and I, I, and I didn't know nothing about Newcastle. Um, I travelled into training one day, as usual, just came in to do me training. The chairman phoned me up and said to me, I need to come and speak to you. 
from from all I heard from you know newspaper, I thought it might be Arsenal or another club. He didn't mention nothing about Arsenal. He just said to me, "Look, we've had a bid from Newcastle." Um, the usual stuff they say they don't want you to go, but they're still telling you that someone's interested in you. So with that, I I said, "Well, if you're telling me that a club's interested, that means that you're open to me going." Um, he then said to me, no, the chairman at the time said, no, 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 you know, want you to go up there to have a look. If you don't like it, you can come back. No one's going to know about it. It's going to keep between us. So I thought, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm an ambitious person. I'd like to go try. So he, uh, he, he gave um, Kevin King my number. He phoned me up. And as you know, he, he's probably one of the best salesmen in football. Um, he spoke to me, he said, look, just come, said the same thing. Come up, have a, have a chat. You know, no, nothing's been done yet. We just want you to have a look around and decide whether you you you, know, you want to sign. So I turned my car around, went to the airport, flew over. When I got to when I got to the airport at Gosford, there was all fans there already at the airport. Probably about three hundred fans at the airport. So straight away, I thought, well, this hasn't been a secret then. And obviously, found out that Norwich had told the Newcastle press that I turned down a contract and that I was going up to sign with Newcastle which is a bit disappointing because that's not what we agreed. But after sitting down, speaking speak to Kevin Keegan, I mean, he sold the club to me. You know, um, it wasn't just the fact that I, I played recently against Newcastle and, and, uh, and the conversation uh, Kevin said to me, said that he asked John Beresford, who was one of his most difficult opponents that he's played against, and he mentioned myself. So Keegan was like that. He'd ask the players, who do they actually rate as a player? So when he was talking to me about that, he said, look, we, you know, we want you to come here. This is a team we're building. Obviously, Andy, Andy Cole just signed. Um, I read about, you know, that he was finding it hard to settle. Um, he explained to me that, you know, it was a mistake, that they uh, rectified it. He was now in the right areas and he was enjoying his football. And then also the other thing he sold it to me is, well, at that time, there wasn't many um, successful black players who had played at Newcastle. So for me, that sold it to me as much as, you know, the club, the fan base and everything else, because, you know, as we all know, it's a touchy subject, but Newcastle wasn't one of the, Newcastle was one of the places, a bit like everywhere else in the Northeast, black players found it hard to go there. They found it hard to play against teams like that because there was a lot of racism. Yeah. So for me, it was not just a football, but it was also, you know, to do something and, and change people's uh, mindset. So that was probably one of the, the biggest reason plus the football reason why I decided to sign. You certainly did that in a fee of about two, you know, two and three quarter million or two, two and a half yeah. million, whatever it was, was, was paid. And um, Kevin Keegan described you as the best player in his position in the country. Did that give you a bit of extra pressure, Rue? Yeah, well, it gives you, it gives you a pressure, but also, also it's a bit of a confidence booster when you've, because obviously it's quite obvious the manager's not going to say anything negative if he wants to sign you, but he, he was, again, he was great at that. He was great at making you feel that you was the best around. So I've, I've just had that uh, transition from Norwich where they used to do exactly the same thing under Mike Walker. He would just let you express yourself. You know, he, he would encourage you to carry on playing. Even when you weren't playing well, he, he, he kept to the ethos of the way we want to play. And King was exactly the same. So it, it wasn't a massive surprise, but it was, it was a great compliment. We often hear from, uh, you know, a lot of the ex-players on the after-dinner circuit up here about the initiation when players came in and, you know, John Beresford tells a story about them pinging a ball towards uh, David Ginola. 
later, you know, in a few, you know, few years later, and he just took it on his instep and, you know, Scott Sellers shrugged his shoulders and said, that's me gone. It's a, it's a story that gets repeated many a time. Did, did you have a bit of an initiation with the lads? Did you settle in well straight away? Yeah, luckily, I, I think they assigned, they assigned the local boys to look after me. So my initiation was going to the big market. So, <laughs> so mine was totally different. Don't forget, I had Lee Clark, didn't I? You know what I mean? I had all the boys, I had all the local boys. So, so I had Robbie Elliott, um, Steve Watson. So they, they, they were assigned to look after me. So with that, I, I mean, I settled in quite quickly and, and the football side of it was so good. I mean, you know, with, with Keegan, it was all about five size, nothing, there was no tactics too much. So the settling period was, was quite instant for me. Yeah, and I mean, the social side's good as well, Rue. Yeah, yeah, well, no, that's on doubt. I mean, the, the good thing about it as well, people don't, people forget about this, you know, when we talk about, you know what, what what is missing out the game now that is what's missing out the game you know the the contact between the players and the fans and key was he, he, he initiated at most times people thought that we were just going out you know after games or whatever no key was the one who told us we have to go out we used to get fined for not having a social so it, it was great it, it was clever because it was a great way of bonding us because at that time we started to get you know your philip albears your hottages we you know we you know we was getting foreign players in so it was important that you under, they understood about the club about the environment they were they were coming into so you know for, for things like that it, it was it was really important but at the time time it, it was important in the right way yeah, I mean, a team that socialises off the pitch tends to play well on it, and that was certainly the case with with Keegan's entertainers. I mean, the yeah. birth of the entertainers had happened the previous season. You know, Newcastle had promoted to win the to win the title with style to beat Leicester seven one. Andy Cole signs. You know, yeah. you come in. Did you feel like it was the beginning of something special? Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. It had the it had the no disrespect to Norwich, but it had the same feel as Norwich. But remember, I said to at Norwich where the we didn't quite have the reason why. I think the, the club moved players on and, you know, I left and Chris Sutton left the, the, the high established player. It's because we knew that Norwich were at a stage where they, they couldn't invest anymore. They, they they had a certain way of running a club, like a business, and they weren't the sort of club who would then go, we spend millions on, you know, even people like your Andy Coles. Norwich wouldn't be doing stuff like that. So when I went to Norwich, I from day one and I was around the players from the first week being there, I kind of knew the quality had stepped up slightly. You know, there was quality players and there was there was um, probably we had players who could fill other 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 areas. So the squad size was was so much better. What was your first memory of uh, stepping foot onto St. James's Park? The, the fans, the fans, the noise, you know, I, 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 I was kind of warned about it. I, they were saying to me, look, once once you get to that ground, what's the build up from the ground? I can remember, you know, coming to the stadium. That was the start of it. But then once. For once you go and warm up, the noise was unbelievable. And, you know, the fact that, you know, we talk about 12th men and I think people have exaggerated at certain clubs, but this is definitely a club that's got 12th, 13th and a 14th man. So the, the, it was definitely, it was definitely, it was definitely the fans. What was your debut? I can't remember. I can't remember my debut myself. I, I remember you, I remember you playing, I think it was, I mean, you signed February 94. I remember you playing a game against Swindon. I think Newcastle won 7-1. And I remember... Yeah, you, I got my I first goal then, but I think I travelled... <laughs> this, is, this is how Keegan makes me laugh. I think I travelled with the team. I think we were in a cup game. I think it was either Luton. Yeah. Hartson scored against either Luton or something. And I weren't eligible to play then, so he brought me along. 
you know, obviously just to bond with the players. And I think we, we lost that game. But we lost the game and he came in after the game and he, straight away he says, do you know what? I've just signed Will Fox here. I've signed it to improve the team. But I won't be surprised if he just turns around and goes back to Norwich. <laughs> you know, and he said, if you want to, he said it for a if you want to go, just tell me now, you can go back because this is not what Newcastle are about. You know, and then I think the game after, I can't remember what the game after, it might have been us win the game. And then from there, it, 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 was, it was just joy all the time and the fun about, you know, the... The, 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 the quality, the notes, I think we obviously got Rob Lee, who was playing ironically on the right. So I think Keegan made a, a, another astute decision by saying, no, I want him to play centre midfield. And, you know, the reason he brought me there is to release uh, Rob to play in the middle. So the, the team we had was very strong. Bit of a good luck talisman rule, really, when you look at your story, because you came in in February uh, and by the end of the season, Newcastle finished in third place and qualified for the UEFA Cup for the first time in a long time. I know I was becoming a bit of a, of a lucky charm, you know, twice, twice in two seasons. So, so yeah, I mean, again, again, like you said, we only just got promoted. So, you know, it's like the expectation for the Newcastle fans. They just want to see great entertainment football, but to actually be in the position we were to qualify for Europe, it, it's just an added bonus for us. I think the big talking point of the following season was, was the sale of Andy Cole. Did that come as a surprise to you? Yeah, it did. It did in a way because, Again, it, it, it had to kind of feel again of when I was at Norwich. You know, we we you know we just got ourselves established. It's my first thing. Don't forget, I think I was part of the Andy. Andy got the record goal scoring that season as well. So I, I had a, a a good friendship with Andy as well because Andy just lived around the corner from me. So you know, we used to go out for meals together because we was up there on our own. So I had a good co connection and bond with Andy. So you know, on the pitch, you know. It, it was, you know, we, we knew where each other was going to be and I knew where he's going to be and plenty playing with um, Peter Beardsley as well. You know, and Scott Sellers on the other side, you know, things were moving forward. You know, we was added additions. We had Peacock, didn't we? Philip Albert, Hottinger. So I expected us to just, you know, add a few more players to it. So then the following season, when you're hearing, you know, rumours about Andy Gert, well, it came quite quick. Actually, I don't think there's actually too many rumours. It happened really quickly. And you got to understand also, it's not just a football club. You go, Andy, Andy's there, when Man United come calling, it's one of them things that you either say to him, you know, stay for one more season, which maybe might have been negotiable. You know, stay for one more season until we get a, a good enough replacement. Or or you just cash in and, and, and then take from there. So I think that, that kind of knocked all the players' confidence there because it also gave a suggestion that maybe we didn't want to be where we were. Yeah, I mean, it was still a good season. I mean, we would we would love a season like that now, finishing sixth place. Obviously, yeah. didn't qualify for Europe, and and because of the high, you know, the high positioning and qualifying for Europe the previous season, I guess it felt like a bit of a disappointment. And uh, fans were whispering rather than shouting that you know the sale of Cole had, had played its big part in that. But um, yeah. but yeah, you know, a, again, a decent season for you personally with double figures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said to you, I, I, I was feeling at home, I was scoring goals, um, assisting goals. You know, I think I had one of the highest assists in the league and I was and I was obviously, I think I scored around 12, 13 goals that season. So everything, everything would, like I said to you, everything was going fine. You know, obviously next season losing Andy was, was, was a big wrench for us because I think we bought, did we bring Paul Kitson in as well? Yeah. And it, and it was a bit harsh for Paul because, again, like I said, it, every player doesn't hit the ground running. I think for, for Paul, it, it wasn't just coming in and, 
establish yourself, you're replacing our, our, our top goal scorer. Yeah. So it, 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 it was a hard arc for him, you know, you know, he, he done well, he tried his best, but it's a hard thing to say what well, you, you're going to replace our top goal scorer. So it was always going to be a difficult period for us. Yeah, we also had that situation, of course, where, you know, the, the reserves were scrapped. So the likes of Paul Kitson didn't actually have an opportunity to play any football whatsoever. Uh, Keegan having a fallout with uh, the groundsman over the pitch. But um, your days at Newcastle were numbered. The following season, of course, there was there was more signings made and um, you were deemed surplus to requirements. How did you feel about that? It was a mixture because, um, like I said, I've just come off a good season. Again, it was one of those things, like, but this time, obviously, I, I kind of heard um, that they were interested in me, but it never really, because Keegan, um, Keegan was one of the people that you could go and speak to. You go knock on his door, you have a chat with him, because he was great at that. He would he would, he would, would ask you in his office just to talk about football things. You know, he loved his football, so he would give me challenges. He would say to me, look, I want you to do this next season. You know, anything I needed, you know, improve on my left side and that. He was always there to help. So our relationship was brilliant. It was just when it got to that situation, I'd rather it, it was it was up in front and honest because it and he had really gone. So it just got to a stage where I thought, well, obviously I knew Keith was part of that that transfer. Keith's a great player. Keith's a great player. So for me, it was about I never felt intimidated by Keith being there or David being there because I believed in my own ability from the from the season before. It was just a case where I had that. It was always that inkling again that, hold on a minute, he's now told me about Tottenham being interested. I didn't ask to leave. I haven't suggested I want to leave. You know, I wasn't saying I was homesick or anything like that. So for him to come to me with that, it, it, knocked, me, it knocked me a bit. And I, so I, I, I um, had the conversation with him. I said, well, uh, do you want me to go? And he says, well, no, you know, his remarks were, no, I don't want you to go. But at the same time, we're not going to offer you a new contract. But was it a problem again? Because I still had probably year, year and a half, two years to go. But then after that, you know, the games went in. I played one game, came out, played another game, came out. And then these rumours started to hotter up with Tottenham and Tottenham and Tottenham. Then, so I went back to see him and I said, well, what's it going to be? We either put this to bed and say, no, you, you know, you don't want me that. You don't want me to leave to go to Tottenham. Or these rumours are going to keep carrying on and it's not good for me because if I'm hearing this and then, you know, I'm not getting in the team, I'm not getting no reassurance that I'm going to be playing, then obviously I'm going to go elsewhere. And he never gave me that reassurance. So I just said, well, OK, then, well, if you're not going to reassurance, then, um, then I might, might as well go talk to Tottenham and see what they got to say. So that's how it happened so quickly. You know, very disappointing. But, you know, you start to learn that's the way football is at times. Sad, yep, sad, very sad. And a lot of Newcastle fans were disappointed to see you leave, uh, but thankful for, you know, for the years service, uh, the years yeah. service that you gave us and some great games, some great memories. You ended up at Tottenham, as you say, um, four and a half, well, roughly four and a half million pound transfer fee. Um, you know, what was it like at Tottenham for you? Um, Tottenham, again, for me, I'm uh, looking at, um, teams and where I, where I started and where I, where I ended up and it was all it was a, I was looking at a step up every time so the Tottenham situation even though I was leaving a fantastic club and you know I loved everything about Newcastle when you look at the Tottenham team you know Tottenham Tottenham a bit more established team you've got we still got the same quality players we had Darren Anton Terry Sherry with Sol Campbell so like for like players we we had a a, a good team you know so for that 
you know, that's why it made my mind up to say, well, I'm not actually having a step down. I'm actually going to a club that's still going to be challenging. And when I got there, it, it was more it's a bit of a culture shock because I've gone from, you know, being at Norwich and the type of football we're playing and the training and everything like that. And when I got the top, the facilities weren't quite the same. We was training in an old, an old school. So it was always, you know, where we, at least we had Durham to train at where the surface was nice, even though we had used other facilities, you know, where we trained was, was good, a good quality place to train. So I had that for the year. But the, the main thing for me was, um, was the what, the, the, what we say, the camaraderie between the team and, 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 and the players. Once I got to London, you then realised that everyone lives all over the place. No one's, you don't actually get that team bonding. You know, where I've been at two clubs where it was important to bond with the players. When I got the Tottenham, it was all about, well, here you are. This is your price tag. Let's just go out just go out and do it. You know, there weren't no bonding with players and, you know, people went out. But it was more, I don't know, because it was London, there was people living in one side of London. So as soon as trade had done, everyone was just gone. You know, and it, it, that that's not the way I am as a person. I like to get to know people because you've got to get to know your teammates. But we still had a decent season getting on with each other. But them sort of things start to show its head after a while because after a while, you know, when you've got that team spirit, that gets you over the line sometimes because you've got to be allowed to tell a player that he's not doing he's not doing the right things he should be doing. And I've got to accept criticism of other players as well. But it, it comes across different if you don't quite know that player and they don't, you know, you don't know them off, off the park, you know, but you only know them on the park. So you get this perception that they're a little bit arrogant or what, or bits and pieces like that. So it was a mixture of highs and highs and lows, I would say, at Tottenham. Obviously, you, you, you did move on. I mean, got to the 1999 Football League Cup final. You, you made three appearances, I think, in the run-up, but um, you didn't get, a, didn't get a chance to, you know, to, to play in the final. I mean, I, I presume that must have felt a bit disappointing. Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably one of my biggest disappointments because um, I played every game. I played every game, played the semi-final, played every game. And then the final came along, and um, I wasn't even I wasn't even uh, on the subspace. You know, you know, you're still disappointed to be on the subspace. It's everyone's dream. You know, like everyone says, you only get a few opportunities to to win cups and win trophies. For for me, that would be my first ever time of being at Wembley, first time being involved in the atmosphere. And even though he tried, to, I think it was George Graham. Was it George Graham? Mm. George Graham. Yeah. And even though I knew as soon as George Graham came that. You know, I weren't quite his type of player, but I also, but also, he still played me, which was quite strange. But then when it came to the final, maybe it was down to trust. I don't know. You know, he's got a certain way of playing. He doesn't really like, didn't like too many what we called attacking players. But then, um, yeah, it was disappointing because that, you know, I'm in the pictures and you know holding the trophy. But it was a bit, you know, they said to me they they, they gave me one of the medals, but. I gave it away because it, it wasn't that, it you know, it, it was a sour taste for me because, you know, after, you know, playing in all them games and not actually even getting on a bench, you know, that it, it was probably one of my lowest points, I would say. Yeah, even though the team won, it's hard, it's hard to put the smile on your face and smile with the teammates, which you do, but away from it, you're, you're kind of thinking, well, you know, that, that, that was probably a bit of a low point. Yeah. 
you moved to West Brom, um, which is where you finished your career. You know, I mean, for, for me, it sounds very much like it's almost you fell out of love with football route to a degree. After yeah. having having a great start with Norwich and and continuing that at Newcastle, it really it really sounds as if Tottenham and then West Brom were you know you know felt as if you were on a decline and you just walked away. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I mean, I was very fortunate. I mean. I mean, financially, I was okay. You know, I'm not that. I'm not a sort of flesh person. I, you know, but I was comfortable. Um, and Tottenham were trying to get me out the door. I had, a, I still had a, a few years left of my contract. Um, I, I wanted to stay, and the same scenario again. They, they, they wanted to get rid of me because they wanted to get money in. Um, I dug my heels in because I was sick of getting told to leave clubs all the time. So I, I stayed. I stayed there for as long as I can. And in the end, they said to me, you look, we'll pay your contract up, but we, you know, but you need to go, you know? So again, I've never had agents. I've never, I, I had a, a brief agent at Newcastle and Keegan kicked him out the door when he turned up because apparently he'd done a dodgy deal with one of the players previously. So from there, I, I, I didn't really have a relationship with agents or anything. So I didn't have anyone who could go around to speak to clubs. I, I I just didn't believe in in agents. You know what I mean? I just believed in well, if someone's interested, they'll they'll come for you anyway. So I I, I knew Gary Megson from my um, Norwich days. So he phoned me up again. He told me I I I already said to him like I said earlier. I was thinking I was just going to retire. I was thinking, you know what I mean? I was, I was only 32, though, 32, coming 33. I know it's a bit, it might be early for me. I was thinking, do you know what? I'm going to probably just go home, might be play for a, my local club, lower division, get a couple of years there, and that was it. So I'd already come back, and then Gary Megson had phoned up, and he asked me to come to West Brom. And I, again, I thought, oh, do you know what? I'm, I'm back home. I'm going to have to start travelling again and all that. But he convinced me, him being a mate of mine, I said, look, I'll go up there, I'll... I'll, I'll give it a season if I if I like it and all that. And then when I got there, I got a bit of a, um, I got a little bit of a, a kickstart again because I, I because I, I I was being given the important role of being a senior player. So all get all he wanted me to do was get the ball. I was, actually, I, this is how funny it is. It goes around in a circle. I actually started playing centre midfield. So from from being on trial when I was 14 to being a centre midfield player, it's now gone around about and I'm now at the end of my career playing centre midfield. So I was just getting the ball, being a ball player and, you know, passing ball through. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it, it was different type of football because don't forget, it's the first time I ever played in a lower div division in the championship. But I felt I had time or experience and know-how. We had uh, Jason Roberts and Lee Hughes up front who were, who were phenomenal goal scorers. So my job was quite easy. I played just behind him and was just passing balls through to him. So the season was great for us. We got promoted, you know, I was captain. So for me, I just felt, you know what, I'm not going to get a better hide in this. So I just thought instead of me slugging it out and, you know, I could see my legs were going a little bit also. So it was probably the, the sensible thing just to retire. Yeah. Great career though, and uh, one with a, a lot of memories. We'll take a few questions now from people on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Life Goals, he says, uh, you were such a live wire at Newcastle and Norwich, but you didn't quite seem the same player at Spurs. In hindsight, do you think uh, they were wrong? They were the wrong club to progress your talent? Yeah, yeah, like 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 we explained earlier, it was it was just one of those things that um, on paper, the club, the, the squad, everything, they all ticked the right boxes. Um, 
we, we, we had a fantastic team. We played good football. But I think there was just disruptions all the time. I think I went through three managers while I was there. You know, I think we had, you know, we had Chrissy Hooten took over at one time. We had Christian Groves. We had George Graham. We had Jerry Francis. That's four managers. You know what I mean? In that space of time, I'm there. And don't forget, every time a manager comes in, he's he's got, they were under that much pressure. I think one time we was floating on relegation like Newcastle were. We was, you know, in the bottom, bottom four, bottom five. So for any manager coming in, you know what it's like. They get defensive. So they're not going to be playing with attackers. So for me, it, it, it you know, there was, there was good times. Don't forget, again, my first two seasons there, I think I was, I was double figures. So both seasons, you know, Sisso, it weren't like the football was bad. It was just after them seasons, you know, think Jerry getting a sack. And then it all just started going up and down for the club all the time. And I think trying to get yourself in a run of games and, and you know, and, and, and get your quality players in the team and play consistently, then it was always going to be difficult with the expectations of the football club. So I think that's why when I said to you, you know, I had high and low points. And I think that that description was right. You know, it was a case where, you sometimes make these moves and they don't work out as the way you want them to. King Stokesy on Twitter says, uh, who was the fastest, you or Andy Cole? Cole was the slowest in training, but the quickest on the pitch, put that way. I think I was quicker than him over. It was probably me and uh, uh, Bez. Bez was quite quick. So it's me and Bez. I mean, Hodger was, Mark Hodger was quick. Andy Cole was, he only, he showed his pace in the last third. I think he, he strived, but I mean, off the mark, I was probably a little bit quick, but over a distance, I think Andy would probably catch me. Craig on Twitter asks, who was your favourite player growing up? Uh, it was a mixture, I think. Um, growing up, I used to love West Bromwich Albion. Um, so my players were um, Silver Regis, Laurie Cunningham. Um, it was mostly the black players. Brendan Batson was playing. And then as I was go, getting older, I mean, um, when I was trying to get into the first team, and you could see players, I think at the time, Mark Walters had gone from Aston Villa to Rangers. John Barnes had gone from Watford to Liverpool and with all the racism and all that. They became they became role models for me a little while because I looked up to them because they played the same position. So, yeah, I would say, I would say um, Cyril Regis, when I was at West Brom, and then it, it turned to... Uh, Mark Walters and, and Barnes. David Jones asks a bizarre question. He says, is it true that Mike Hooper used to have a full English breakfast every morning with double everything seven days a week? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say travel. He liked his breakfast, old hoops. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, don't forget at the time there was no... you got to think about when we were travelling for games, there was no um, dietitian. Yeah. It, I mean, Terry McDermott was our dietitian. That tells you all of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, the weather we be real <laughs> yeah, yeah. We used to go on the coach at Durham and we just stopped at the nearest garage and he'd just pile on sandwiches and pastas and everything like that. So, you know, for, for diets and keeping healthy, I mean, don't forget, we had we had the kitchen up Durham and at the club we provide with like nice food, but you know, th- there wasn't any there wasn't any measuring down of portion sizes, you know, you just allowed to eat as much as you like. Yeah, no nutrition at all. Uh, Andy sure. Andy Hodgson says, um I had a Green McEwen's third quest, uh, kit stolen off my line and it had Fox number five on the back. Has Rule seen it? 
<laughs> I've got one actually, but I don't think it's it. I've actually, got, I've actually got the warm up one. I like that kit actually. We had the warm up one. There, there were some kits that they brought, which I quite like. The blue retro one was a bit loud, but we like we always done well playing that. And the the blue one as well. So yeah, no, no, I don't think I've anything to do with that kit. By the way, good stuff. Raimondo wants to know why you chose to wear number five. That was that was the only thing that was available. I ah. mean, Rob Lee, don't forget, I'd come from Norwich. I was wearing, but I, I, I hadn't, I hadn't kind of stamped down on a number up until then because when the Premiership started, they gave out the squad numbers, and I think uh, even when I first got to Norwich team, I think I was, I started off number fourteen, then I was number ten, and then um, it's the only when I come to Newcastle, I want to be, I, I, I was number seven, sorry, at Norwich just before I left, and then. Um, when it got there, Rob already had number seven. And there's no way Rob was going to get there at seven. So the, uh, he went for the squad numbers. And the only one that was in the starting 11 number that was spare was number five. So I just thought, well, instead of me being number 16 or whatever again, I'll, I'll, I'll go with five. So it was just a choice of mine. Nothing, there, there was no significance behind it. Pete Davey, he was a regular on the show. He did ask if you felt that you needed to leave or were you asked to leave when Janola arrived? We'll cover that earlier, but he has yeah. got two other questions. He says, what was the kit that he enjoyed playing in the most? The black and white kit. It's a strong kit. It? It's a strong, it's got the stripes in, so it reminds me of West Brom, but it was just something about it when you put it on. When you put the kit on, you know, it's just the bold colours and, you know, the, especially the Essex one. I like the Essex one. Didn't like the Adidas too much. Did like the Adidas, but the Asics, I like wearing the Asics one. And this is a question which I, I, I gather I know what you're going to answer, but I think you'd have a different answer if you were doing a quick a Q&A with the Norwich podcast. Was <laughs> playing for Newcastle the most enjoyable time of your career? I mean, it, 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 it's difficult to answer. It, on par, they, remember we was going through, through my story, they both were so similar. Got yeah. to Europe, played good football, you know, got into the top five. So there was... No difference. I mean, obviously Norwich are going to be dear to my heart because they're, they're the ones who gave me my chance in football from playing in the streets of foot, uh, in Ipswich. They're the ones who plucked me from the street and gave me a debut. So I'd say Norwich on them terms, but it, 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 there's not much between it. Okay. Uh, I am Neil Marshall. He says, where did you go for nights out in Newcastle and how did it compare to Norwich's nightlife? Oh, no, this is different kettle of fish now. <laughs> Newcastle's nights out were so much better. I mean, well, as you as you know, Steve, we 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 went everywhere. That's the good thing about it. there was no. Uno's was, no, was a popular one with the entertainers, wasn't it? But you went yeah. there. For, you went there for your food and it. And yeah, glass Uno, of wine. it was always Uno's first. Align your stomach just to get a bit of pasta in there and a, and a bit of bread. Then it was. Um, then we used to go. I mean, nightclub wise, we always went to Julie's because that was the only place there, weren't it? Yeah. So I can't remember what Martha's. We used to Martha's. go to Martha's. So it was all. We we did really venture out too many times it was only when um clarky and what and that started getting involved in it that we started going to we started, started going to the big market because at the time we stayed in the quayside a lot of the times then but then obviously we got introduced to the big market and the atmosphere there's so good you know obviously you got your your chinatown there for the food and stuff and that so yeah i mean um social wise and and for the people and and, and, and the drinking and that newcastle wins it hands down yeah, great, great stuff, great memories. Uh, Facebook questions. Um, Corey Nicholson says, favourite goal that you scored for Newcastle? 
I scored not very big. I, I, I quite enjoyed quite a few. I think I scored one against Wimbledon. I think I, I that's when I think uh, Keith came, came into the team and I ended up got playing on the left. And I think I dribbled from it, came in from the left and hit one in the top corner. I scored one against my hometown, Ipswich, again for about 25 yards. Um, then two one with faith, but when it becomes important, I think I scored um, our first European goal, weren't it, against Athlet- Atletico? Yeah, Atletico? that's right. Yeah, yeah, even though it was a toe poke, it was the importance of it. So, yeah, them, I'll say them three goals. Okay, uh, Glenn Skingsley says, uh, which manager would be your choice to take over from Steve Bruce, or would you stick with him? What managers are out there, apart from Rafa, if he comes back, but... Um, I don't, I, do you know what? For my liking, it's it's not so much the manager as the people in charge. You know, it's the, the the managers. The managers can only deal with what they got to deal with. And you know what it's like now. Managers are now involved, and we don't know who's buying the players. You know, who's scouting the players. We don't. You know, we don't. Where when we was there, we knew we knew that Keegan, Terry McDermott, Arthur Cox, they all were looking at players. It would be on their recommendation that they bring the players in. So Steve Bruce's hands have been tied to a certain extent. I know last stage he might have um, he might have a, um, involvement in bringing Willick in, but I'm not I'm not too sure. But then, like you said to you, if you haven't got the resources to bring the people in, then it doesn't matter what manager bring because their hands are going to be tied. So I haven't really. Plus, he's my, my a friend of mine anyway. So I'm not going to go in hard on him, but I'd say. There's no manager that I can think of at the moment could, could work in that environment with, with the budget and the, and the owners that he's got. Yeah, I, I 100% agree, mate. I think um, that that is the problem. It's the, it's the ownership that needs to change. And if the manager changes after that, then so be it. But it'll be interesting. It's an interesting yeah. summer coming up for Newcastle fans once Most again. Definitely. Mark Henderson says, which position did you most prefer to play in? Um, I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy playing on the right. I enjoy playing on the left. Which I did for Newcastle. I I joined the Wade sisters play. Now I probably enjoy being that little number ten behind the two strikers because I could get about the pitch and find little pockets and space. So I I I I, I enjoy any place where I got to attack and not run back too much. Okay, Edward Farm says, "What's your favourite memory uh, from Newcastle, on or off the pitch? I suppose." Um, off the pitch is. It's the way I was accepted, because uh, like you said, I, I was a little bit nervous about you know what area I'm going to live in, um, the culture, the, the place, and all that. But they, you know, they they were brilliant. They quickly accepted who I was, accepted my family. My children were going to the school there, so it, it was strange for my children. It's probably strange for the people of Newcastle, you know, for different cultures. But you know, that was probably my most enjoyable bit was 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 feeling welcome. You know that I mean. What other place can you go to and have the work with that they gave us and, and, and the love and affection that they give me? So they'll always be close to my heart. It's, it's always a place that, as you know, see for yourself, you know, anytime I get a chance to go up, I, I'm straight up. Uh, Danny Bain says, who was the toughest defender that you faced? Um, for obvious reasons, Stuart Pearce. Uh, <laughs> my position is, is is one of them funny positions because I'm there to take on players and and generally in, in them days and all that they usually had players in there who were there to stop players in any way they could so I had I didn't have nice left backs I had Julian Dix 
You know what I mean? That's Stuart Pearce playing them. There's Van der Hal playing at Tottenham. So, so there weren't well the most difficult one I would say who who weren't that intimidated, but I found it hard to because Dennis Irwin, probably the most unrated player. I've, I mean, I don't think he was. Un, he's not underrated around Manchester and all that. But not a lot of people talk to him, uh, talk about him as a complete fullback. But he could play left. He was two footed. You know, but he, he he never really sold himself. My job is to take on defenders and you know embarrass him. He, he, but majority of the time, I found it right difficult playing against him. Yeah, good uh, good players. A whole host of decent players you've named yeah. there who uh, would certainly give you a bit of a run for your money. Tom Dixon says, when you did hang your football boots up, uh, did you miss playing? No, because I think, uh, you know, at that time, you, I think most players will tell you that as soon as they retire, it's almost like a release because you, you're... You're like a machine. You're doing the same things every day, you know, and then you go through the same emotions all the time. If you're not playing, you're upset because you you train all week to play in the first team or be involved in the squad. And when you're not in the squad, it's an emotional roller coaster. So when you first stop, it's almost like you. It's, it's almost like a bit of relief, but then that then after that relief, then reality kicks in that you need to find something to do. So that for me, the re- retiring wasn't wasn't a bad thing, but then after about two years of being retired, then reality kicks in because you you do miss the, the normality of being around. I think it's the camaraderie of being around the players and having that day-to-day banter. It's not so much the plan. It's just being around. It's like a family. It's like being in an army, you know, when, uh, you know, you see with people in the army now, when they come out, they struggle with their mental health. It's the same thing with football. Who was the best player that you played with at Newcastle, Rue? Peter Beardsley, hands down. Peter Beardsley, you know, again, a player that he, he's such a such a great player, you know, he's hot, held in high esteem, you know, by by all fans and players and everyone. But he's he's so humble and modest, you know. He he plays the game. He's unselfish. If he sees you playing, you know, he helped me. He helped me a lot when I first got the team because he he just wanted me to score a goal and he was always passing me the ball and everything. So, you know, he, he's he's a very unselfish player. You know, with myself, uh, I'd say Beardsley and Scott Sellers, and you know, for us, you know, I mean, for 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 Andrew Coleman, it's probably a dream because when you got people like Peter Beardsley in the team, you know that you're always going to be given chances. The team obviously used to train down at Maiden Castle as well. What was it like going down to uh, to train at Maiden Castle and, and having people come to watch it? In we're not talking about one man and his dog here. We're talking about a couple of thousand people on a on a hot summer 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 August day yeah. uh, coming down to watch the train go through the manoeuvres. And, and Kevin would often have you standing until you know until yeah, later on you, signing autographs. Yeah, he was brilliant at that. I mean, that again, that was what we were talking about. About that's where I think. Uh, football clubs have lost a touch with their fans, you know. So I'm not saying every football club. You look for like Leicester, for instance. They were that reminds me of Newcastle. Yeah, when the owner comes on the pitch after the FA Cup and the players are bringing him down with a trophy, and you you hear stories about how he's doing things in the community in Leicester. That that that's what Newcastle was about at them times. And we used to train at Durham and all that. And he did, used to tell us, we used to come out and train, and then the next week we see these barriers going up, and then you see, especially in the summer holidays was where we got the most. And we get probably two, 3,000 people there. And to see that, but then also to understand that for them, you know, it, it's the best, best thing in their life. Because, you know, we understood about how passionate the fans were. Don't forget, Keegan took us to the um, social clubs. He took us to the fan forums. 
you know, we were going, you know, as you know, we were going around pubs and talking to fans all the time. So again, our connection with them was so great to see them come to the training ground and there was no security risk either. So, you know, we was afterwards told to stand up after sign autographs. That was the least we could do. Looking at football now, what's the best thing about football compared to your day and what's the worst thing about football compared to your day, Rue? Um, the best thing probably about football is the standard of quality that they can bring in, obviously with the with the money from, from Sky. And it's also, it's a double-edged sword because also with the money coming in, then the wages are going up and a lot of a lot of clubs are separated from what what football is about. We've seen with this this European thing that they were trying to do and how the fans reacted to that. You know, it's it's the fans, it's the fans football club. And I think that's where when we're coming to this stage where clubs are trying to do their own super league, that's the that's the bad side of it. So it's it's a bit of both. So financial was great because it could bring in the quality players and improve our league to be the what I, I still think is the best league in the world. But then on the other side, it's 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 not they're trying to take it away from the fans, which you can never do. You can never take football away from that because without the fans, football is nothing. You touched earlier in the interview about the racism factor about Newcastle and about how black players hadn't done well in the northeast in general. Um, obviously, we have a, a big debate going on still in football, taking the knee. Yeah. Um, you know, after the horrendous incident with George Floyd in America. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we discussed it on the show quite openly on, on many occasions, and just wanted to know what your thoughts were because you see, you know, you see a player like Wilfred Zaha now say. I'm not taking the knee anymore because I think that it's it's just become a habit rather than what, what it would actually set out to achieve. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Wilfred Sahar to a certain extent. I mean, it, they always they always start these campaigns and it starts off with a big drive and, uh, you know, to kick it out things, you know, with posters and banners and all that. It doesn't get nowhere. At the end of the day, you, you're making a stance on it, but it starts to irritate people after a while because people get the wrong idea what it's about. It's about really what it's about. It's about equality and you know, giving diversity in places, giving people a chance. And also, you know, what I mean, the racism is part of it, but it's not the big part of it. But then people get get the wrong idea about it because I think because of timing of it was with that um, with that with the Floyd killing. Also, I yeah. think people got the wrong idea because it then started getting attached to Black Lives Matter. So the two getting associated then it, 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 it everyone thought it, it was something to do with you know my I'm not thing by giving black people a bit a, a bigger place in society you know it, equality is about that as well but at the same time I think people misunderstood it so for me now doing these things it just becomes a habit to do and then and then it starts to die out and then it just goes back to norm so for me it's not about that so much more I'd rather it be more about re-educating people about educating people where it starts from schools and and you know re-educating families because everyone is everyone is in this kind of um they're, they're, it's almost like they're fickle because they, they have if you haven't seen it you don't understand it so if someone's trying to explain it to you sometimes you don't want to listen to it you think well you've got this you've got that and if, if you put yourself in them shoes for a little while then you'll understand it and i think the main thing about it is that if they're going to come out and do all these things then the owners of clubs should be coming out and making the starts and, and saying things because it's okay uh, a black person and another black person 
standing hand to hand and and doing that. But if if there's no so there's no white people backing you up, it's like any industry. If they're not standing side to side with you, and I mean, I think Alan was doing a bit with uh, Wrighty a while back, so, and he didn't even understand it. Yeah. So it's just about it's just about slow re-education. But I don't feel that you know taking a knee is going to have the right reaction because it allows fans then to voice their opinion in a wrong way, in a negative way, because they're the sort of fickle people who need educating. But I don't think by dropping the knee, by making that gesture, you're not going to educate them. They need to be talked to in education-wise and shown, and shown different ways of understanding what it's like. Yeah, great stuff, wise words. What are you up to now, Rule? Uh, fans always want to know what ex-players are doing. I'm still running my uh, boot camps. I've, I've run... Um, my fitness boot camp three times a week uh, called It Switch Five Star Boot Camp. Um, I run, I do it on a Monday, Wednesday, and uh, Friday. I've just now started in talks with our local business, uh, sorry, our local It Switch Council, because they want me now to work with people um, in the mental health um, department and also to get them back outside and, you know, for mental health, getting fresh air doing a bit of walking, so country walks and stuff like that. So I'm excited about that because it helps with obesity also. And um, I've also started doing my um, my sports condition and stuff, which is, again, you know, sports agility stuff where I go around, and, but I'm offering it more to the amateur teams who can't afford it. So I go around to football clubs and I, you know, give them advice about how to improve on their fitness and speed, agility and power. So it's really exciting at the moment. You know, I've got a lot on. And now, especially now that everything's, you know, been, I'd say, released a little bit where people can get out a little bit. So especially the mental health side, you know, because we've all suffered with it. So to be able to give something back for free, you know, to help people get get back to some sort of normality is is, is a great buzz for me. You never change rule. You, you still look as if you could tear up that wing for Newcastle United <laughs> on a Saturday. I've been from, from here down to my shoulders, I'm all right. It's when you get lower down, the legs won't do it. I pull hamstrings, get out of bed now. That's a beauty of a Zoom call, mate. That's a beauty yeah, of a Zoom yeah. call. Uh, we'll finish off just a message for Newcastle fans, Rue. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I could have nothing but, but love for the Newcastle fans, the way they treat me, the way that the fan, you know, the fans, the love they give me, everyone around the football club. I've, I've still friends with some of the people who work around the football club, yourself, I've, you know, formed a good friendship with. So, you know, I'm, I'm always I'm always looking out for the results, and I'm always travelling up whenever I can to watch a game. So hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be in a good position next season. Um, we'll either loosen up the purse strings, or you know, the squad will be improved, and 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 we can get the club where they want to be. I don't think the club are asking for too much. I don't think the fans are for too much. I don't think we're trying to win the league. We just want to see a team that we're proud of. And you know, you know that that's all we want as 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 fan. I'm a fan now, so as fans, we just want to see and look and feel proud of what what we see on the pitch. And hopefully, hopefully next season, especially after learning how how we just scraped through. Um, I know it looked like we did scrape through, but you know the the hardship we went through last season. Hopefully next season we'll be we'll, we'll be celebrating a little bit more. Well, hopefully next season as well. You can show me the delights in Norwich, and I'll get you back down the big market because oh, Norwich yeah, are back yeah, in the big yeah, I've got, yeah, I just forgot about that. Norwich come up, so I've got an excuse to come up now. So, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up with everyone. Good stuff, mate. Listen, Rule Fox, as always, absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on and UFC Matters. Yeah. Take care, mate. God bless you. My right, pleasure. Take care. Bye. See you.